All right, so today's been uh, a little nutty. We thought everything was going to be okay coming back inside with the technology and such, and the technology just kind of fell apart. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we run on DSL internet here, which if you, if you don't remember what DSL is or if you've never heard of DSL, don't worry about it. It hasn't been around for about 150 years. Um, it is an awful piece of technology. It is, you know, we, most people have like fiber optic or T1 cable internet. Before that was DSL, before that was dial-up. So we are one step above dial-up. So in order to get the live stream going for everybody, we've had to buy like little Verizon Jetpack, what are they called, uh, like hotspot booster things. And uh, man, it's just not working coming inside. So thank you for bearing with us for starting late. Uh, we're good with going a little bit late, yeah? Because God's here. Who wants to go home when, when the Lord shows up? All right, so we've been talking about uh, the Word of God realized. All year long, we're talking about uh, kind of the promises of God realized. What's, I was just texting some uh, pastor friends of mine this week. They said, hey, man, how's it going? And I was like, I'm sure like you, it's pretty chaotic, right? And so, you know, this, all the muck and craziness of the world going on, it's really kind of nutty to navigate. And I said, what's most ironic about this is our word for the year as a church was everything was going to be realized this year. Like the move and all the new ministry models and all of the startup, we're going to realize all this. And then the world was like, pause. You're not doing anything for like six months, maybe eight months, maybe it'll be nine months, maybe it won't be for another year or two. But how many of you know, like the Lord's in it still? Even when the world says pause, this is what the Lord said to us, that we're supposed to you know, see all of these things realized, right? And so I want you to be praying with me, particularly this week. On Tuesday night, there's a, there's a city council meeting. Um, and actually, this is kind of an interesting outreach here, but uh, I've been speaking with Legacy, the people who are buying this property from us. And they're guy, they're, uh, the, the main guy that I've been dealing with over the past four years of negotiating this, he's a, he's a pretty hard Catholic, but one of those like non-practicing Catholics. You know what I mean? And this week he goes, hey, Brian, would you have your congregation pray that this goes through? Because when you guys pray, it seems to work. I was like, it works for me. So we're going to pray. We'll pray right now, but we're going to pray Tuesday. Here's the deal. Um, they had to, uh, so they, they're buying the building from us at, at roughly $17 million. The whole, uh, the whole construction budget's like, it was somewhere about 80, 85 million dollars to build what they're gonna build here. Um, and so they had to cut five million dollars out of their budget, which, you know, that's, doesn't seem like a lot when you're talking about 80 million dollars, but you know, how many of you guys could cut five million dollars out of your budget right now, yeah? So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a tricky spot that they're in. And so what they've done is they've requested from the city some kind of tax breaks and some incentives. Uh, the city planning committee has already approved that. City council needs to approve it, and then they need to approve it a second time, and then we're good. We just close. So that's the, this is the last step in order for us to close. If this goes through on Tuesday, it will go through one more time in two weeks. If those both go through, we will close on September 30th, and we'll close on our new building, which is on four, uh, it's 400 East 4th Street, which is downtown Santa Ana. We'll close on that October 5th, and we'll move in during the month of October and start holding services mid-October to early November. Hooray. Hooray! All right, so now you're updated. But we're going to pray really quick that, the, that we would have city with the, with, uh, favor with the city council. Let's pray. Lord, uh, 
you know, in the book of Acts, it said that, that your church had favor among all people, and that includes city officials. We know that they want this deal to go through for financial reasons, but we know that you want this deal to go through for spiritual reasons, because you're going to do something mighty and crazy uh, with these funds and through this church. And so we, we realize right now that we, we can't do anything uh, in our own might, in our own strength, in our own power to make this stuff happen. You can change the hearts of men, though. You can sway the hearts of men. And so if there's anybody on that church council that is hesitant to give these incentives and these tax breaks to Legacy, who's buying our building, God, we pray uh, that you would change their hearts, sway their heart even now, that you would start to speak to them through your Holy Spirit, whisper in their ear and tell them that this needs to happen. Lord, uh, you promised us that, that this move and this new ministry model and all of this would, would begin to be realized this year. And that's what we're trusting in. Regardless of what the world's saying, regardless of what circumstances are saying, we're believing that you're going to pull this off. And it may be the 11th hour, and it may be that the armies of Egypt are crashing in on us and we're pinned next to the Red Sea, but we know that that's when we're primed for miracles. And so we're asking for a miracle today from you, and we will, we will count it as one and give you all glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, so the word realizes what we're focusing on throughout the month of August. Uh, we talked about where the Bible came from two weeks ago and, and how it kind of came to be. Hopefully that was helpful for a, a lot of us. I know most of us, we, we read our Bibles all the time, but we don't really understand how it came to pass. And, and, and really when you understand the history, uh, the, the where the Bible came from, the why it came to be, the how it came to be, it really puts a whole other level of uh, understanding and, and depth in the relationship when we start to sit there and go, man, this, this book is pretty miraculous. This isn't just like another religious teaching. This isn't just a, a collection of teachings from a single, you know, a, from a, a Buddha or from, a, you know, Muhammad or from one teacher, a Joseph Smith, right? This is a collection of stories written over like 1,400 years by 40 different authors that are all telling the same story. By the way, I didn't say this back then, but did you know that um, people like Socrates, Aristotle, and, and like Greek philosophers couldn't agree on something? Right, like three or four Greek philosophers put them in a room, they couldn't agree with, with what Greek philosophy was. Yet 40 different authors over the course of 1400 years can all be speaking the same story of grace and love and mercy. That is, that, that's only the Holy Spirit, right? Then last week, PT taught on uh, how to get like a rhema word versus just reading the Logos word. And I love that teaching that he brought because he said, you know, the, the Logos is like a well, and then the rhema is just taking a bowl and getting some water from the well, right? Oftentimes we think, of, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more today, but we think that because we now have the Holy Spirit or because we have the rhema word, that we don't need the Logos anymore. We don't need the written word, but that's not true, right? It should come from there. So today we're going to talk about uh, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay, so this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And he says, he says he once was, if we were to read the whole context of it, he says, I used to be a minister or a servant of the old covenant of the letter of the law. But now, Christ has made us adequate servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, because the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. You want to say that with me? The letter kills, Spirit gives 
life. So Paul is saying here that he's not a minister of the letter, meaning the letter of the law. In his old life, if you read through like Paul's story, it's one of the coolest stories in the Bible, right? In the book of Acts, it's like chapter 9-ish, I think. Um, Paul was named Saul, and Saul was a Pharisee, and he wasn't just a Pharisee, he was a bounty hunter. Dead serious, right? So Paul asked the church at large, hey, look, this new church that's rising up, these, these Christians, these followers of Jesus, they're causing way too much trouble in every town that they go into. And so here, can I, here's what I can do. I can go town to town, and if you give me permission, I will bind them, and I will bring them back to you as like slaves or prisoners and even to the point of death. So Paul was like a bounty hunter for the Jewish church at the time who was trying to stop the Christian church from growing because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah and they felt like they were kind of faking it and because the whole world was waiting for the Messiah. If they claimed that Jesus actually died and rose from the dead, then this is going to cause us problems. And so Paul, as a, as a member of this Pharisee group, was actually sent out as a bounty hunter to go bring in Christians, right? But then, uh, as he's walking down, or as he's riding down this road to Emmaus, the Lord knocks him on his butt and blinds him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he is blinded for three days. By, by the way, remember how a couple weeks ago when I was sharing about Jacob and Esau and how like there's all these types and shadows and foreshadowing that happen? all of these parallel stories in the Bible that always kind of point back to Jesus. So Paul was blind without food or drink for three days. And on the third day, someone from the church came and they were like, hey, I know you're a bounty hunter, but Jesus sent me to come talk to you. And so please don't hurt me. And they give him the gospel and he, he gives his life to Jesus and something like scales fall off from his eyes, and it says immediately he went out on the streets preaching and teaching that Jesus was the Christ. Now, how's that for resurrection? Right? Without food, drink, couldn't see for three days, and on the third day somebody shows up, gives him the gospel, and he is healed, and he goes out and immediately starts preaching and teaching Jesus. So here's what he's saying. In my old life, I used to be a Pharisee, and we used to study and minister the letter of the law. And if you remember, I was telling you about these, like, I think it's called yeshiva, which is, you know, in uh, Jewish kids, when they graduate high school, before they go to college, like Orthodox Jewish kids, they will go to yeshiva where they learn the entire first five books of the Bible, which is the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, right? So that's the law. And they will memorize it character upon character. It is their, like, that's their sole responsibility for the first few years after graduating high school. And they'll memorize it character by character. So they know the letter of the law better than anybody else. I was told when we went to this yeshiva, it was like the Yale of yeshivas in Jerusalem, that you could drop a pin into any page, and you, and it, it, or it, I'm sorry, you could drop a pin onto any spot on a page, and then you could say page 73, and they would be able to tell you what character was in that position on page 73, because that's how well they memorize it. So they know the letter of the law. And that's what Paul says, I used to be that. But now, I've understood that there's a new covenant, and it's a better covenant. And it's not about the letter of the law anymore, but it's the Spirit that gives life. So he used to teach Israelites how to obey God's written commandments in the Old Testament. Right? The Torah, the first five books. Now, he's become a minister of the Holy Spirit. And by this, he means that he teaches those who are in Christ to live by the Spirit. Probably the most important thing that you can learn in your walk with Christ is how to walk by the Spirit. Amen?
So let's start with some discussion. Does this mean that we no longer need to read the letter of the law? If the letter of the law kills, does that mean we shouldn't read it anymore? Why or why not? Ready? Go. All right. So do we, do we need to read the Old Testament? Do we still need to read the rules and the regulations? Why or why not? Yes or no? Yes. Oh, Tiff's doing the double negative. No, it doesn't mean that we no longer need to. Yeah, she's answering it properly. Do we need, yeah, I, I, I asked it differently live, but you're, no, you're fine. <laughs> so should we still read the Old Testament laws, the rules and the regulations? Yes or no? Why? It is the Word of God. Yeah. Yep. So she said there's five different covenants. Uh, some of them include ritualistic laws, and some of them include moral laws, and we can still read through the moral laws and get them. And some of the ritualistic stuff, by the way, if you've been reading through our Bible reading plan for the year, whole lot of that in there, isn't there? Right? So, like, there's a lot of ritualistic laws, and not all of them apply. Can you tell that Grace runs a Bible college? Because she's, <laughs> she's got this stuff, right? So, here's the, here's the reality. The Word of God is still our standard. It is, like, this is what the Word of God calls itself. It's, a, it's our standard. It's a mirror that we can look into. It's a plumb line that helps us stay aligned. It is a two-edged sword, as PT spoke about last week. Seed, sward. It is a seed to plant. It is water, it is milk, it is meat, it is bread. By the way, when we're talking about the, uh, the, uh, the difference between the word logos and rhema, right? Logos was kind of the, the written word that was this bridge between God and man. Rhema is a word that is spoken to you. Man shall not live on, every, uh, on bread alone, but on every rhema that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So when you're, when you're talking about how do you sustain your day-to-day -day walk with Christ has very little to do with reading your devotion Bible stuff, right? It has everything to do with you have to hear from God every single day. Now, here's how I always put it. If I open up the Bible every single day, I am positioning myself to hear from God. I'm making it available to me. If I never open up the Bible, then I'm kind of just giving it up the chance that God might speak to me today. You know what I'm saying? But every day I'm giving myself the opportunity. I may not hear from him every single day, but I'm going to give myself the opportunity to hear from him every single day. Does that make sense? Okay. The letter kills. That was the first part, right? Letter kills, spirit gives life. Say it with me. The letter kills, spirit gives life. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know if, you ever, if you've ever seen this, but remember the guy, uh, the movie that was really popular, uh, actually it was probably 10, 15 years ago, Super Size Me? The documentary, right, where the guy lived only on McDonald's, and if they ever asked him to supersize it, he would say yes, and like his heart was shutting down, and his whole body was stopping, like all functionality was just ceasing, right? So he did, I can't remember how long he did it, like 60, 90 days, whatever it was. So he decided for one year, his next movie was he decided for one year he was going to live according to all 613 Old Testament laws. Yeah, he failed really quick. <laughs> did not last very long, and the, the whole... 
the whole idea was like, this is impossible. You can't do it. And that is the idea. It's that they're impossible. There are 248 acts to perform, like positive things that you should do in the Old Testament. There are 365 acts that you should abstain from. Now, people kind of put this in this really clever way, and it doesn't really make any sense to me, but apparently there's 248 bones in your body, and so there's one act to perform for every bone in your body, but I don't think that's actually accurate anymore. I think we've kind of divvied them up differently. And there are 365 things not to perform, so there's one thing for every day not to perform, which I think is really dumb. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. So today, I'm not going to murder somebody. Check for the year. Right? And then tomorrow, I'm free to do that. That's fine. So most of which, like most of these things, as you said, are ritualistic and they cannot be observed mainly because of the destruction, the, the destruction of the second temple that's in Jerusalem. So even the Jewish people can't do them anymore because a lot of them have to do with the temple and being in the temple and that temple has been destroyed so they can't perform these like animal sacrifices and those types of things anymore. Even if you eliminate all of the things that we cannot do anymore, there are still 77 actions to perform and 194 to abstain from. And even out of those, only 26 can be done outside of Israel. So here's the deal. You and I don't stand a chance at living out this law, right? We have no chance of ever living this thing out. But that's the point. And you will hear me say this, if you've been here for any amount of time, over the past 10 years that we've been pastoring here, I have probably said this a few dozen times each year, and you've heard it from Pastor Terry as well. And this is one of the first things that we kind of linked up on way before we merged was this idea that the law has been done away with. And it's wonderful. And for some odd reason, Christians just love to cling to the rules. We always think, and then look, it's maybe, not, it's, maybe it's not the Old Testament rules, which we're going to talk about some of the weird ones, and there's some weird ones, okay? But maybe it's not even the weird ones, but we know as Christians, we have rules and regulations that we think will make us better people. The one that drives me the craziest, Christians do not watch rated R movies. Because I love movies. And most of the good ones are rated R. But a good Christian doesn't watch rated R movies. And if you made the majority of the Bible into a movie, it would be rated R. That just read your old, the Old Testament is so R-rated, and if you don't think it's R-rated, read it through with a child. Because you will be sitting there going, yeah, like, I don't know if I can share this with you. I, you don't need to know what incest is yet. Like, you just, you know, it's, it, there's some weird stuff, and it's pretty graphic. But the law was never meant to make you a better person. The purpose of the law was always to show you what a mess you were because you need Jesus, okay? It was always meant to show you how rebellious you are. So here, here's a couple of verses for you. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh, say no flesh, no flesh will be justified in God's sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what's the point of the law? It's the knowledge of sin. It shows you that you sinned, okay? And here's how this works. If, if you showed up before God in heaven today, and he said, hey, why should I let you in? You said, man, I'm a really good person. Like, I never murdered anybody, never stole anything. Maybe, maybe you haven't done any of those things, right? And maybe you're completely justified in all of those things. He would say, you know, you, you, you would come before him. I never murdered anybody, never cheated on my wife, never, uh, never stole anything. I fulfilled all of those commands. And he would say, well, you're wearing a poly, poly cotton blend t-shirt. 
And you would go, what? And he would say, well, my law says that you're not allowed to mix fabrics. So therefore, what you're wearing is an abomination to me. Right? And it's not that there's anything wrong with wearing polycotton blend. What he's doing is he's putting laws before you just to show you that you sit there and go, well, why does that matter? Right? And when somebody tells you that that's wrong, you go, well, that's stupid. And that's sin in the heart. Because he's the creator of the entire universe. And by the way, if he sets any rule that he wants, it's a rule. Because he made it. Right? It's his universe. And he gets to decide. If you don't get to ever touch the skin of a pig, then you don't get to ever touch the skin of a pig. And you don't get to declare whether that's right or wrong. That's maybe right in your eyes. But in God's, if he says it's wrong, then it's wrong. Because he's the creator. He's the author of the story. Does that make sense? And so there's all these weird little rules in there. And I, I can't wait to ask him this one day when I get to heaven. Like, did you just put those in there just to show us that we would kick against it? Because I think so many of them, these weird little ones, are in there just to show you that you just, God, that's not okay with me. Yeah, that's sin. Right? Does that make sense? It's just in there to show you the knowledge of sin. Romans chapter 7. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, hold on, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. So we were aroused by the law. When the law said no, our sinful flesh says, well, now I want that all the more, right? It's the don't push the red button. Okay, but maybe I just push it one time, right? We all have this weird desire in us that when somebody says don't, we go, especially Americans. <clears throat> I read this, this quote from an epidemiologist. This was the funniest thing. This was, this was right when we all started the shutdown of, for COVID-19, right? When we first shut everything down, there was an epidemiologist in Europe, and he said, well, the Americans are never going to go for this. He's like, look, you're, the entire nation was birthed in rebellion, and then all of the people who were rebellious against their own nation immigrated to the United States, and now you want them to put on masks? It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen, right? And so out of all of the rebellion in mankind, Americans are usually the most rebellious. And we need to recognize that. Like, I like that about our nation. That's one of my favorite things about it, right? But I need to understand that I have this against God, too, and that when God says don't, I'm like, but I want it, right? So... Oh, and by the way, this one's good. God put this law before you so that sin might increase. And this is going to throw some of your understanding for a loop of, of who God is and how he acts. But watch this. The law came in so that transgression, so that sin would increase. But where sin increased, grace increases. It bounds all the more, right? So this is, one of, this is another one of those Jesus stories in the Old Testament that blew my mind. Again, remember we, last time I taught, we talked about Jacob and Esau and how Jacob, I thought like he was this schemer and he, like he was this horrible, wretched man. And Esau, I was like, man, Esau was like a victim, right? Like Esau kept getting taken advantage of by his brother. But then throughout the Old Testament, it's about 40 plus times God says, I bless Jacob. He is favored among men and I curse Esau. And I'm like, what is wrong with God? Like, did he not see how that played out? And this is another one. So if you remember, Jacob has this, this moment where um, he's moving away. So he wanted to marry this girl. And, and her dad was like, you need to work seven years for me in order to get her hand in marriage. And then he works for seven years for the guy. And then the guy sneaks his other daughter in to the marriage tent. 
And so they get married first, and then he's like, what the heck, man? And so the dad's like, okay, well, you've got to work another seven years for me if you want my, the other daughter. So he does, and after the end of this whole thing, Jacob's like, I'm done, and I'm walking away. And the guy says, well, what can I do for you? And he goes, well, I just want all of your spotted flock, and let me take them, and then the Lord will bless me through that. And what's interesting is the, the, the pure, spotless flock was far more valuable right? Because those are the ones that you could sacrifice. Those are the ones that you could sell at a higher price. The spotted flock, they were the blemished and nobody liked them and they didn't want them. So they were far less valued. And so Jacob puts a stick before their water troughs and before their food. And the sheep that see the stick, they all get spotted, which just doesn't make any sense, like biologically, right? So if you, you know, if you, if you went and shaved some parts of a stick off and put them before a sheep, this is not what's going to happen. If anybody's ever taken like a genetics class, this is not how it works, right? And so this is obviously something miraculous that happens. But here's what's interesting. In the Old Testament, the word for stick or rod is the word law. There's nothing different. It's the exact same word. So when people say, spare the rod, spoil the child, that doesn't mean smack your kids with a stick. It means if you spare them the rod, the law, the discipline, the rules, you will spoil them. Because it's the same word. Rod, stick, and law are the same. So Jacob, who we've already discussed was like a picture, a type of Christ, he puts this stick, the law, before the sheep. And the sheep that look at it are spotted. So he's bringing sin before the sheep, before the flock, and wanting them to do it. Why? Because those are the ones that he gets to keep. And they become his flock. And this is what God does. He's like, look, I'm going to put the law before you so that you recognize how rebellious and nasty and mean and cruel you are. And then when you see that, then you'll go, man, I need Jesus in my life. And then everybody who sees that they're spotted will come before me and they get to be my flock. Super cool Old Testament story, right? But the reality is, is that God puts this out there so that grace can abound all the more because he wants to give you more love and he wants to give you more grace. So there's your spotted sheep. Pretty wonky looking. Look at that one's horns, man, on the top. That's impressive. <laughs> all right. Romans 7. But now we have been released. Say released. Released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? This is where we ask, right? So if this is what the law is, if all it does is reveal sin to us and show us, it's, uh, Paul also says it's like a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. And it's said in the sense of like, it, it's one of those nuns that smacks you on the wrist, right? Like it's, one, it's like, it's a bad, right? And if that's what the law is, then is it sin? Then should we avoid it at all costs? Paul says, may it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would have not known about coveting if the law had said, you shall not covet. So we should read it, but when we read it, we should go, man, I didn't live up to that one. Whew. Praise Jesus that, he, that his blood covers me. Praise Jesus that he loves me so much that even when he brought this before me, I could be made new. For by sin, uh, but sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, uh, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, 
But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So all the reason I'm saying this is because, as I said you know, earlier on, Christians have this weird tendency to go back to the law. In Galatians, Paul goes, why do I keep going back to the thing that I, that's already been torn down before me? And we all have this, and it may not be that we're, you know, that we're dying to go do animal sacrifices again, and it may not be that we're like trying to go to the temple and you know, pray in, in, in the same manner that the priests were called to pray, but there is this weird thing that we have where we all like, like to go back to the rules, to the processes, to the procedures, right? That if I pray this way, or if I say this many prayers, or if I fast and pray in this manner, then God will speak to me. So here's the question, and I want you to be honest about this one. What areas are you a stickler to the letter of the law? And it may not be like the letter of the law in the sense of the Old Testament law, but I'm talking about the Christianese rules and regulations. Where are you a stickler to those types of things? And knowing that that stuff kills, how can you become free from that? All right? Go. Time's up. So, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. I won't ask you all of the ways that you are sticklers to the letter, but I know we all have them. What, what Spirit gives life, what it really means, like in its most core meaning, is that the Spirit gives true understanding and revelation to the letter. The Spirit brings life to the letter. It does give life to you, but it brings life. It actually makes it alive, this living and active Word of God. The Spirit brings life to the Word. So really what that means is, like, what's the heart behind what's being said? And so the, Pastor Jack Hayford had this great teaching on this, which kind of opened up the entire Old Testament to me, where he would say, read through the Old Testament and even find a law that, 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 that doesn't make any sense to you. Study it. And then try to understand what that could mean in our modern context. What could he possibly mean, be meaning? The example that I used to always give was that there's an Old Testament law that you're supposed to have a parapet around the roof of your house. A parapet is a, it's those, if you've seen the like Middle Eastern houses, there's like usually some um, wood that's shooting out of the side of the house, and there's a netting that's going, you know, from post to post in Aladdin. And it actually even says in there why that that's necessary. And it's a, it's a, it is one of the 613 Old Testament laws. And what happened was back in, in, in those times or even in, now in the Middle East, what will happen is, uh, you know, if it's cold in the desert in the middle of the night, homeless people are going to try and find a place that's warm to sleep. And so oftentimes they would sleep on the roofs of houses because heat rises, right? So if there's a fire or something happening inside, then the roof would be warm. And so homeless people would climb up onto, your, onto the roof of your house and, and sleep there. And then if it's a flat roof, they might fall off your roof and die. And so God made an, a te, an Old Testament law that everybody who was part of Israel had to have a parapet around the roof of their house to catch homeless people to save their lives. Now, I don't have a parapet around the roof of my house, nor do I have homeless people sleeping on my roof. Maybe here at the church, but not personally, right? <laughs> So, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, do I need to follow that law? Well, I don't need a parapet, that does me no good, but I can take the heart of that rule, which is I should take care of homeless people. I should look out for them, I should care for them, and I can apply that in my own context. Does that make sense? 
We understand this, especially with parenting, right? Because if you, if you've ever, if you have kids and you've parented at all, you often will give them rules and they'll follow it to a T, but they're going to completely miss the point of it, right? So like we have rules about screen time at our house and it might be televisions or phones. And I love that Apple uh, phones have like a screen time app on them so that you can limit how much time your kids are actually spending in front of their screen. Now, I, we put screen time limits and let's say it's like an hour of screen time a day. Right? Well, what'll happen is my girls will be like, we'll say, well, Evelyn, you didn't practice piano today, or you didn't, you didn't play any music. And she's like, well, I'm out of screen time. So she'll use an app to like learn how to play things on piano. And it's the way that she's most engaged with the learning process of how to play piano. And the screen time app is not there to limit her piano practice. The screen time app is to limit all of the brain dead TikTok dances and whatever that stuff is, right? Like, you don't like that? Okay, so that's the re like if my kids are watching online, they're sitting there going like this right now, and it's my favorite. It's my favorite reaction. But the reality is, it's like it's it's there to limit that stuff, the brainless nonsense, not to limit her piano practice. And so at the end of the day, if I go, Evie, why didn't you practice piano today? She says, Well, I didn't have any screen time left. Oh, you were following the letter of the law, but you missed the heart, the spirit that gives life to that rule. I actually heard this. This is kind of fun. Uh, Billie Eilish, her parents have a, had a rule growing up that as long as they were being creative and making music, they, there was no bedtime. And so think about this as a kid. If you sit there and go, man, I'm allowed to stay up late as long as I'm making music, then I'm going to stay up all night making music. Worked out pretty well for Billie and her brother, right? Because at 15, she'd written her first number one hit, and now she's got like album after album of just hit songs and she's all over, she's like one of the most famous people on the planet right now because she followed the spirit of her parents law not the letter of it right if there was a hard bedtime but then it's well no bedtime as long as you're making music can you imagine if billy was like well then what i'm going to do is i'm just going to dink along on this xylophone all night like this little baby xylophone that's not the point the point is be creative does that make sense okay let me give you some some fun examples here Make tassels on the four corners of the cloak you wear. Anybody wearing tassels today? Did Bethany wear her tassels? Yeah. She saw this in the notes, and she's got four tassels on her, on her cloak. So she's like, I'm wearing that one on Sunday. Does anybody? You have a, yeah? You do have four. Look at that. Good for you. Now, you, now I think Bethany might have this one over you, because watch. You were to make tassels on the corners of your garments with blue cord. Is there blue in yours? Oh, they're black. You will have these tassels to look at. Here's why. Here's the heart behind the rule. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you'll remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them, not prostitute yourselves by going after the lust of your own heart and eyes. So if you ever see Jewish, like Orthodox Jewish people, right, they'll usually have like a scarf, or even their robes will have little blue tassels or blue and white tassels on them. Now you know what it's for. The point of it is not just to wear blue tassels. The point of it is to remember what God said to you. And so you can take this and apply this. How could you apply this? Well, I love like getting a scripture every year. Danielle will often get a scripture for, this, for a season, and then she'll make it her, her wallpaper on her phone screen. So God spoke a verse to her. She puts it on her phone screen, so that way she can see it every time she opens her phone to remember this is what God said. It's the same heart behind that rule. Does that make sense? She doesn't have to wear blue tassels on every garment that she wears. 
She can apply it that way. I like to change my passwords because, like, I know a lot of us have like those automatic passwords where you just kind of click in. But I, it's this is not listen. This is a personal conviction. This is not. I am not putting this on anybody. I like to engage my brain in as many ways as possible. So I try to drive different ways home and do a bunch of things to just keep my brain engaged all the time. And so I change my passwords. And when I change my passwords, I tend to make them what the Lord said to me that year. So that way, every time I put it into my like when I type it into my bank account or my Gmail or whatever it is, then I'm remembering, okay, that's what God said to me. Does that make sense? So the heart, the spirit of that gives life because now I'm constantly remembering what God said to me, not just going, well, I need to wear blue tassels on every, on every robe that I wear. Does that make sense? Okay. How about this one? In Leviticus chapter 19, I'm just going to, for time's sake, we'll just burn through these really quick. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 27 and 28, it says you're not allowed to trim the edges of your hair cut the edges of your beard, or have tattoos. So every hipster in church that's got the, that's got the, what's it called, like the tight side, high, high and tight haircut with the cool trimmed beard and all the tats, right? You're breaking three right there just by looking like a modern cool guy. But what's the, Chris is the, he's the cool guy. But what's the point? Okay, so if we read this entire chapter, it's all about Israel looking different from the people that they're in the cultures that are surrounding them. There's a, in fact, the tattoo thing is actually like, don't carve graven images into your skin. And it has more to do with branding yourself than it does tattoos. And that's because the Baal worshipers, worshipers of their day would cut and, and burn images into their skin. If you remember like uh, Elijah uh, and the prophets of Baal, when they couldn't get the fire to gar- start going, what did they do? They started cutting themselves. They were, they were tattooing themselves, according to the Old Testament, right? And that's what it's saying. It's like, don't, don't worship like they worship. Don't act like they act. Don't look like they look. Be different from them. Now, I think you could actually take some of these and apply it today that we're not supposed to look like and feel like and act like the rest of the world. We're supposed to be countercultural. What's interesting, though, is most of the church is trying to be more culturally relevant so that we can... It's the whole bait and switch, right? Like, dude, we're cool. Look at us. We got tattoos, and I got the high and tight going, and I got the beard trim, and like, but I'm a cool pastor, right? And then come on, and then by the way, Jesus loves you, <laughs> right? It's like, you thought I was a cool guy. Turns out I love Jesus, right? And like, you just look like a psychopath. So the reality is like the Old Testament is don't look like the rest of the world. Don't be like the rest of the world. Be countercultural. Can we apply that? Of course we can. In Numbers chapter 9, you get excommunicated for not celebrating holidays. So anybody who had some sort of traumatic experience that, that goes with Passover, and you sit there and go, like, I don't ever want to see another Easter bunny in my life. By the way, if you've never looked up creepy Easter bunnies, ha- just take an afternoon and just go on a bunny trail. There are some of the weirdest pictures you will ever find on the internet of these old Easter bunnies. Super creepy. But what's the point? Does that mean if you don't celebrate holidays, then you can't be part of the kingdom of God? No. The Old Testament holidays are festivals that were remembering the things that God did for Israel. So the point of this is to say, I need you to remember all the things that I've done for you. Set time apart throughout your year to just remember. And by the way, that's what Sabbath is supposed to be. You're supposed to look back at the week and go, man, God did something good this week. And let me reflect on that. Right? Because that's what happened on the first Sabbath. He looked back at everything and said, this is good. 
That's your job on Sabbath is to go, man, what did God do this week? This was good. So take a Sabbath. Does that make sense? Okay, one more. <laughs> okay, so sheep and goat sacrifices. This is Leviticus chapter 22. Sheep and goat sacrifices that, whose testicles were broken, bruised, crushed, or cut were not allowed to be brought as sacrifices. What's the point? If you're not allowed to bring sheep or goats that had crushed, cut, torn, or like destroyed testicles, what is the point of that, of that, uh, that law? Anybody want to take a, take a guess? Huh? Right. Bring your best to God. It's just that simple, right? Like, you're supposed to bring your best to God. Don't give him your, your broken stuff. Don't give him your nonsense. I mean, I, you know, I, gosh, I understand the Christianese of this all, but we, we know what I'm talking about here. Like, we always say, like, you just come just as, like, remember that old, come just as you are. It was like the, the altar song for about 15 years. And it was the one that was super prevalent right when I got saved. And so it was like every single service. It was the end of the service was, come just as you are. Bring your brokenness before the Lord. Yes, of course. Yes, of course that. But like when you're going to bring your tithes and offerings, when you're going to bring a gift, when you're going to make a sacrifice unto the Lord, give him your best. My favorite story about this was there was a guy who, um, he was a pastor and he was heading home from church from a Bible study midweek. And it was in Detroit, and he drove through an underpass, and there was a bunch of homeless people under the underpass that were sitting around like a trash can fire. And the Lord said, give him your jacket. And he's like, this is perfect. I've got a bag of stuff that I was going to take to the Goodwill tomorrow right in my trunk. I'm going to stop and give it to them. So he pulls over, and the Lord says, I didn't tell you to give him your garbage. I said, give him your jacket. So he went home and emptied out his closet of all of his best clothes, and brought him back, and he said, and as I do unto the, un, unto the least of these, I'm doing it unto the Lord. And if I was to give Jesus my jacket, I wouldn't give him the stuff that I was throwing away or giving to goodwill. I'd give him my best. That's the heart behind this one, right? Is, has, most of us don't have sheep, and if we do, they don't have crushed testicles. Amen? <laughs> because PETA would be all over us in the United States. Spirit gives life. And if we read these Old Testament laws and these rules in this way, it can actually enhance our walk with God, and we can learn a lot from the Old Testament, particularly the letters of the law. But does this even apply to the New Testament rules? So if you don't know this, Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic to a culture that we are far removed from, right? A lot of it we don't understand because we didn't grow up in it. The New Testament was written in ancient Greek to a culture that we are far removed from. A lot of it doesn't make sense to us in our American brains. So the same rules apply. When you read through the New Testament, you need to be able to sit there and go, what the heck was God meaning by this? Don't just tell me the rule. Tell me what you meant by this. So a great example of this would be the log and the speck, right, in Matthew chapter 7. That's an old idiom during that day. And so when we, we, we're told to judge not lest ye be judged, and then Jesus says, when you call out the speck in your brother's eye, you might want to check first that you don't have a log in your own, Right? So people who heard this story when Jesus taught it would understand that he was using this idiom. It's almost like it's raining cats and dogs for them. That doesn't make any sense. You guys even know where that came from? So again, rooftops were warm. 
So cats and dogs would sleep on the roof. And then when it would rain, cats and dogs would jump off the roof to go inside. So it, if it was raining hard, it was raining like cats and dogs because they would jump off of the roofs. Does that make sense? It helps to understand where things come from, right? So the log and the speck, it was an old idiom that meant that the, the log in somebody else's eye, you were actually, the speck that you would see, I'm sorry, the speck that you would see in somebody else's eye was actually a reflection of the log that you had in your own. So when you're calling out other people, you might want to check yourself on that thing first. And usually in that same manner, because wherever you're a mess, you can see that in everybody else. It always, I'm always suspicious of pastors who only talk about pornography. Because I'm like, what you doing when you get home? Because if that's all you ever call out, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know a lot, you know a lot about this, don't you, right? Like, it tends to be that they're calling out the log in everybody else's, or the speck in everybody else's eye when it's a log in their own. Does that make sense? So the heart behind it isn't just don't judge other people. The heart behind it is, like, check that you're not doing that exact thing specifically. PT brought this one up at, at staff meeting, and I thought it was brilliant, about dealing with sin in the church. Matthew chapter 18. If somebody in the church is, is in sin, what the first thing you're supposed to do is go to them privately. If they don't respond, you're supposed to take two or three people with you. And that way, at least there's accountability to it. And if they don't respond to that, you're supposed to teach, that, teach, you're supposed to treat them as a sinner, as a tax collector. So what's our immediate response? Boo! Get them out of here! How are we supposed to treat sinners and tax collectors? We're supposed to love them! Right? And Jesus was the one who taught us that! So the same guy who's like, treat him like a sinner or a tax collector. I have a, like, my whole testimony is based on that whole concept of the church. Because we loved you. Because you guys loved me. Right. So if you actually get to the, the heart of what these things mean, they make a lot more sense. Right? And so we don't need to just do it with the Old Testament. We need to do it with the New Testament. The letter of the law kills. It brings nothing but death to you. And if you're trying to obey the, the letters of the law, the rules and the regulations, you will come up striving and frustrated every single time. And you'll probably end up in shame because you can't do it. It's impossible to live according to the letter of the law. It will bring nothing but death to you. And even if you read the, through the Old Testament and you sit there and go like, this makes no sense to me and I know I'm done with this and, the, and it's abolished and it's finished and I don't have to live by it anymore, same thing. You're not going to get a whole lot of life out of reading the Old Testament, right? Because it's hard. But if you come into it and go, okay, wait, if the Spirit brings life to this stuff, then help me understand. God, what did you mean by that rule? What did you mean by that law? And look, I don't even understand them all yet. I, every time I read through them, there's something that I go, yeah, that still makes no sense to me. Okay, maybe next year. Maybe next year the Holy Spirit will, will give me revelation on that one. But here's the deal. I just want to know what he wanted. Like, I want to know the heart of God, not just the letter. Amen? All right, so one more, and then we'll, we'll close up. What can you do to be less managerial and more spirit-led? Yeah.